Hello, my name is Anthony Hudson and welcome to my podcast, The Masterminds. Please join me as I bring interviews with some of the very best in the world of sports. From top football managers, club chairmen, sports psychologists and the leading experts in the world of analytics, team culture and leadership. introduce the next guest i'm really excited to launch a new segment of the masterminds podcast the purpose of this podcast and it has been since the very beginning is twofold firstly coach development which is a huge passion of mine another passion in my life is animals specifically animal welfare now coaching and managing has taken me all over the world i'm incredibly fortunate and grateful and in every single place i've lived and worked in i've wanted to do something wanted to open a shelter, donate, volunteer my time. But some of those things I've just always been too busy to do because of my job. So I've decided I'm not going to use that excuse anymore and I'm going to do something about it. Millions and millions of homeless dogs and cats are killed in American shelters each year. And we can make a difference. I've recently partnered with Poor Chicago, which is one of the few non-kill animal shelters in the country. Paws Chicago have built a national no-kill model that has reduced the number of pets killed in Chicago by 92% since they were founded. It's an incredible place and it's an incredible charity. So through education, through awareness, through sponsorship, through support, we can make a difference. Every single dollar that goes towards a no-kill model like this goes directly towards saving a life. So please share, like, comment on this podcast. And for more information about this initiative, please visit www.sportingmasterminds.com where you can find all the information. So please enjoy the podcast. Next up, someone who needs no introduction. He's coached at the very highest level in the world of rugby, uh, both club level, international level. He's won countless trophies, experienced and won in many, many different countries. Uh, the current England head coach, Mr. Eddie Jones. Eddie, it's great to speak to you. Thanks so much for your time. And we met many years ago when you kindly gave me your time at Twickenham. And it's been incredible to see your success and the growth of the national team since you've been there. So thanks so much for your time, Eddie. Thanks, mate. Nah, good to see you again. Yeah, you too, Eddie. And and uh, I'm going to get straight into this. I want to talk about coach development. And we'll start with the, the top. What, what does a world-class coach look like to you? What are the characteristics of a world-class coach? I reckon one of the things is you can never think you become a, a world-class coach. You're always trying to get there. Um, you know, I've coached 60 years and I'm still trying to learn how to coach. So I think every day you've got to be curious. You've got to be inquiring. You've got to be enthusiastic. I think, you know, today more than, than it was previously, you've got to have great management skills. You've got to be able to manage your staff and you've got to be able to manage the players. And then obviously you need to have knowledge of the game. So that real growth mindset, uh, humble, curious, know how to manage people and then, and then know about your game. You mentioned there about being curious and enthusiastic and, and, and they're such simple words, but so, so important and powerful. But have they ever wavered for you? Has, has that, those traits ever wavered in your coaching career? Uh, well, I think whenever you get sacked, it wanes for a period of time. Um, you know, I was sacked as the Australian coach. That was tough. 
um, back in 2003. But I think the most important skill to have is that ability to reflect, reflect on the job you've done, accept responsibility. And then when you can do that, then you can go forward and, and see where you can improve. Because, yeah, coaching is such a, a great job, but also a difficult job. Um, and if you're always looking to see how you can get better, then then it's you know it's the most positive and rewarding experience. Eddie, you're a you're an inspiration to many coaches. You know, even in 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 other sports. You know, especially myself. Um, what about you? Who who inspires you as a coach, and 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 why did they inspire you? Uh, I was lucky. I had a bloke uh, by the name of Bob Dwyer who won the 1991 World Cup with Australia in rugby. Uh, he was just ahead of his time. Uh, tough guy, you know. But he could tell you, he talked to you after a game, straight after you come off, he'd say, remember when we were going down the left-hand side in, in the second half? He said, why did you look inside? Why didn't you go outside? He could have this mind where he could see the game so clearly. He'd pass, pass on that information. His training sessions, he was always looking for a way to improve the training sessions. You know, we're talking about 1980s. We were doing metabolic training sessions, breaking the game up into 30, 45 seconds, one-minute periods and training at absolute speed. And he just was, was a guy that you wanted to play for. Um, and I always wanted to coach like him, um, be someone that the players really wanted to, wanted to play for. Eddie, I remember when we met years ago, you said something to me that stuck out in terms of development. See yourself as a business, you know, and really look at all those areas and keep adding to the business. Um, so, but what, what does that mean? Like, how, how do you do that? Because uh, as coaches, as people, we don't know what we don't know. And, and so how, how, practically, how would you go about doing that? Yeah, I think if you go back to, you know, what we were just talking about, you go back to your knowledge. You go back to your management skills and you go back to your ability to find new ways of doing probably the same thing. Because, yeah, you talk to all the coaches who have had success, they're all doing the, the same thing in their own way that's right for their team. And I reckon one of the key things to keep yourself fresh and keep yourself fresh to your players is your ability to to coach, for instance, hard work, but make it interesting. Be able to say it in a number of different ways, get the same message through, have a number of different ways to coach it. So you're always looking to see how you can keep that same message fresh. Um, but, you know, I've, I'm 60 now and I still, every three months, I write myself a professional development plan. So where can I improve in terms of my knowledge? Where can I improve in terms of my management skills? Where can I where can I investigate? And just keep doing that process of of looking where you are and looking where you can improve. Eddie, I spoke to a good friend uh, the other day. He's, he's an ex uh, player. He's just finished. He played at the highest level: Premier League, World Cups, national team. And uh, he, he was talking about you know in relation to the players, the young players of today, and how hard it is to make it. And he and he said a quote that 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 he uses. It's been big for him. He said, "Dreams, dreams are free. Greatness will cost you everything." 
And then he started telling me about some of the things that in his own personal life, the sacrifices he's made to make it. And uh, I'm just curious to, to, I would love you to know, you know, what, what, what does it cost to be a world-class coach? What are the sacrifices you need to make? Yeah, no, it's, it's a great quote, isn't it? Um, I love it. But, and it's so true, mate. I think you, one of the things I always say to, to young coaches now, yeah, weigh it up. What are you prepared to sacrifice? Because I always see the best coaches and the ones who have had longevity, they're just so dedicated to their profession. They've got a, a family life that fits around that. You know, whenever they have time, they, they give to their family and then they might, they might, as they get older, develop one other hobby. But generally, uh, they're so focused on their job and their family that they don't have a lot of time for everything else. And, and, you know, you do have to sacrifice things, but it's a, it's a sacrifice that you're making because you're doing something you love. And developing as a leader, Eddie, uh, leaders born or developed? You know, can you develop as a leader? Uh, uh, it's a great question. Look, I think everyone's got a, some leadership in them and your job is to find out how much they're prepared to work to be a good leader. And the same with coaching, you know. Everyone everyone can coach. Like everyone's got, like you look in, in soccer in USA, everyone thinks they know more than you. Like, because everyone's got knowledge. But it's your ability to work really hard to make, make that, that knowledge into something that's worthwhile is the key. And and you've got to work at the the art of coaching. Yeah, the science part's the easy part, the numbers, the the methodology, but to work at the art of coaching is is learning about yourself, learning about people all the time. Yeah, I really like that. Uh so Eddie, taking over a new team. Okay, you go into a new team, you've done it many times in different countries, different cultures, something that I can relate to as well. You know, when you go into a new team, are there certain things that, that you're looking to implement straight away? Are there two or three really important things that you, you've got to put down straight away? Um, how do you approach going to a new team? Yeah, well, I think um, one of the skills I've, I've learned is the skill of discernment. Um, and what I mean by that is that you go to a new place and, and there's a society around the team. You understand what's important in that society um, and you discover what's non-negotiable for that society, the way they behave, uh, the things, the values that are important and you don't touch those things. You make sure you keep those in place and then you look at the areas you can, you can change. You know, for instance, in Japan, you go to dinner at 7 o'clock, you're there, every Japanese person's there 10 to 7. You know, punctuality is non-negotiable. So when I coached the Japan national team, we had 29 Japanese players and six Kiwis. So 7 o'clock, 7 o'clock meeting, Japanese players will be there 6.50. Kiwi players would come in at 6.59. And we immediately had a discourse in the team. Um, so to get the team to work together, I had to give the Kiwi players a different different schedule. So their schedule read 10 minutes before the proper schedule. So they arrive at the same time as Japanese players. And as a result, they'd sit together. And as a result, we didn't have a, 
a division within the nationalities within the team. So it's understanding what's really important for that culture. And, and then you go to clubs and you've got to understand what's really important for the clubs. How do they want to, how do they want to play? You know, what, what sort of football is important for the history of the club? Yeah, you look at Klopp at Liverpool. Yeah, he understands it's a, a community team. He understands they like playing with passion, with energy. And he brings that to them. So he's got the whole community, the whole city behind him. I think that's, that's one of the best jobs I've ever seen. And do you have any non-negotiables, Eddie? So, so irrespective of the culture, the team, the club, the country, you know, there's there's certain non-negotiables to me, either off the off the pitch or on the pitch, um, that I'm going to look to implement uh, as I come into a new club. Well, I think you always. I've never seen a good team that doesn't work hard, mate. Yeah, and and what I mean by work hard is that you've got to understand what your game is. What does your game require? And you've got to equip the players to play that game under the highest level of intensity so that when the game gets at its toughest, they're equipped to play. And if you're not doing that as a coach, you're not doing your job. So when the game goes, you know, end to end in a game of soccer, you've got to make sure you equip the players to play like to play in that situation. And that's absolutely non-negotiable. And when it comes to the environment, people talk about high performance environment, high performance culture. You know, many people have different ideas about what that looks like. What What is a high performance environment to you? What does it look like? Uh, where everything's geared towards winning, mate. So every decision you make is going to contribute to your team having a better chance of winning. Now, you can you can replace the word winning with, performing at the highest level they're capable of doing. Um, but you never know how capable a team is of, of performing because there's always a bit more in them. And, and a high-performance environment's always trying to find that bit more. Yeah, I love that. Uh, and, and leading on from that, so, so building a culture, um, something that you've done uh, your whole career, you, you've had huge success, you've got great experience in this. One, one of the important things, especially I think nowadays, and we talk about it a, a lot, is, is knowing your why. Not just as a coach, but, but players. You know, players knowing why they're playing the game. How do you, firstly, do you, do you think that's important? And then also, secondly, um, how do you help players find their why? How do you help them discover it? And then how do you... Um, remind them about it. Uh, is this something that's important? Yeah, well, I think in today's game with the younger players, particularly, it's so important because it's more about the individual. So finding out one of the things you've got to find out is why they play the game and what, what really motivates them. Is it because they love the game? Is it because they're playing to, to help their parents? Is it are they playing because of money? Are they playing because they want fame? So understand what their motivational heartbeat is. And then also you've got to give them a big enough why to get them to understand that their individual benefits are going to be uh, are going to flourish by playing in, in this team, how the team's going to help them help them uh, get their individual goals. So before, you know, you'd go to a team, a great team like Manchester United, and everyone wanted to play for the shirt, didn't they? 
like you go there because you wanted to be part of the Red Devils. Now, like the big job is they've, they've signed that Pogba, haven't they? And it's how, how can they get Pogba, the individual, to play for that team? And, and that's one of your biggest coaching tasks now is getting the individual to buy into the team ethos because the younger players coming through are more and more individual. And, and, and would you say that's something that's it's very similar in rugby as well? Uh, increasingly so, mate, yeah. You know, we're, because our game's such a team game where it's less about individuals, it's probably not as difficult as it is in, in soccer, but, but definitely the younger players coming through, it's more about them, more about the individual. That's how they're educated, you know. They're all educated to be more about themselves and everything they can do now is immediate. They can get anything they want online immediately um so you've got to you've got to find a way to fit them into your team yeah we, we went down the track in the six nations of even doing individual game plans for the players rather than team game plan wow that's incredible and how how often would you use this is it something you would you would bring up quite a lot with, with your team uh again it's it's no, i think it's american uh saying mate uh, you just got to check the temperature of the room see what they need um yeah, if they if they need a bit of that to reinforce it, then then you give it to them. If they don't, then you mightn't. But always, every day, you go in the, the team room and check the temperature. I heard a good saying the other day: great leaders are the thermostat, not the thermometer, which I thought was really really good. Yeah, it's a good way of saying it, mate. Yeah, um, and 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 with regards to me- mentality, Eddie, I, I've seen obviously seen your teams play over the years and. You know, listening to your press conferences, and there's been some famous ones. You know, when we, when you was with Japan, which I absolutely love, when you had the, <laughs> the player next year. I mean, it was fantastic. You've had some massive, massive performances and results. And and what I see from your teams is they have so much bravery and courage when they're at the very best. How do you instill that into into the team? How do you instill bravery and courage into a team? Uh, well, I think first of all, you've got to set for any team, you've got a, a bit of an inspirational target, something that's a little bit above them, um, and get them to aspire to want to be part of something special. Because I think when anyone's part of something that they perceive to be special, they give a bit more. Um, and then you've got to train that courage, mate. You've got to put them in situations where you replicate the most difficult difficult parts of the game and, and get them to dress rehearsal, get them to practice, get them to have that awareness of how they're going to handle those most difficult situations. Okay, so so you're going to a new team. Uh, you're, you're building relationships with the team, with the players, with the staff. Uh, what does what a successful coach-player relationship look like? What, is that, what does that look like to you? Uh, we always talk it's a performance relationship, mate. So every time I, I have a uh, conversation with a player, I'm trying to add to team business. So, yeah, every conversation you have, you're right, it's either a positive or a negative uh, result. And what you're trying to do is, is have a performance relationship with a player where you're the highest percentage of your conversation with the players is going to make sure that player adds to team business. It's going to improve the team. And, and how important is it to really connect and have a, you know, a deep, deeper relationship and, and a deeper emotional connection with a player, you know, know everything about them, uh, know that, you know, show them that you care for them. Um, 
how how important is it to have a, a deeper, close relationship with the players? I think horses for courses, mate. Yeah, some players need it, some players don't. There's a great uh, uh, story about Belichick and Brady. You know, they never had dinner in 10 years, won everything, never had dinner together. But yeah. they had a great, great performance relationship. You know, he trusted, Brady trusted Belichick, Belichick trusted Brady, but their whole relationship was about the game. Whereas other players, you know, will need to have a deeper, deeper, deeper relationship. You'll need to go into their family a little bit more, you know, um, knowing knowing how they operate is important. So it's it's knowing what each player needs, mate. And obviously the, the starting point is the performance. If the performance isn't there, it's then about finding out why and digging deeper and, and, and really getting to know what's going on. Yeah, there's a great expression, uh, seeing the seeing their eyes shine, mate. If their eyes are shining, they're going to play well for you. They're ready to go. Uh, yeah. There's that. There's a great YouTube clip by a, a cello teacher. I think his name's Xander. Where he talks about it. Yeah, you know, if if the players, if you have got a team meeting, the players' are, eyes are dull. The problem's not the players. The problem's you. <laughs> yeah, you got to you got to find the make find a way to make their eyes shine. And what about uh, leaders in the team. I think this is this is one area where rugby. I think is there's a lot of really good areas where rugby's. Uh, I think you know a lot more advanced than than, than football, um, and and this is one of them. I think the leadership groups is a lot more common now in in football. But what so when you when you're putting your leadership group together, what are you looking for? What characteristics are you looking for in that group? Um, is it the same all the time, or do you, is it dependent upon the team and the players that you have work, that you're working with? Uh, it's different for every team, you know. There's that great documentary at the moment, Last Dance. You know, if if they didn't have Rod, if they didn't have uh, Jordan and Pippen, they couldn't have had Rodman. Yeah, you know, Rodman in a team without strong leaders would have been chaos. But with those two strong guys there, they could control them. So it's what what your team needs. But I'm always looking for guys who can influence the players around them to be better. That's a leader's job. And then I'm looking for a range of skills. It doesn't have to come from one person. You know, you need a guy who's tactically strong. You need a guy who's emotionally strong. And then you need a guy who's who's a bit of a glue guy that will just keep everything together. So you need that range of abilities for your leadership group. Like we're lucky we've got Owen Farrell, who's an aggressive, tough guy. And then we've got a few other guys who are more arm around the shoulder and look after the boys a bit more. And how many do you want in that group, Eddie? Is there a, is there a certain amount? Can you have too many people in that group? Uh, I don't think you ever have that problem. If you've got that problem, you've got a pretty good team. Uh, yeah. You've got that many leaders, you, you wouldn't be uh, too worried about it. But I think, you know, in terms of the head coach, you've got to have a couple of players you can go to that you can really trust again that'll give you accurate information on, on what the temperature of the team's like. So I think that's important, that you've yeah. got a core of two or three or four that you can go to pretty readily. Eddie, you mentioned Australia before, and I want to talk about something that's, that's common in our industry, overcoming setbacks, adversity. And I would love uh, to, to, for you to talk us through uh, that experience really getting getting sacked you know how 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 that happened uh how did it feel emotionally um how did you recover from it how did you get honest how did you look at 
exactly the situation for what it was? Uh, how did you grow from it? And, and then ultimately, how did you move forward from it? I always remember when I got the sack, mate, my wife and I went down to Canberra where we lived previously. I remember walking down the street and people looking at, at you as though you committed murder. Uh, you know, you, your whole persona, how, how people you think are looking at you, it changes everything. And, and one of the things I learned was that you've got to go away, spend some time, work out what you did wrong. Because if you got the sack, you've done something wrong. Like, and you've got to own that responsibility, work out a plan going forward, refresh yourself and come back and don't make the same mistakes again. Otherwise, you're not coaching. You're not going to be coaching for too long. And how'd you get to that place, Eddie? Because obviously it's, it's, um, it's, re- it's a real uh, complicated situation when you leave. There's so much going on. Um, are there things that you do? What helps you with that, getting through that process to really get straight and clear about exactly what went on and why? Um, are there things that you've, you've used that have helped you? There are a couple of things, mate. I reckon, again, at the end of each day, spend 10, if you're a coach, spend 10 minutes each day reflecting. What have you done well? What do you haven't done well? And if you keep, you go to your book every day and there's increasingly what you haven't done well instead of what you've done well, then you need to have a good look at yourself. The second thing, and I know it's becoming a, a lot more popular in American sport, is having a coach to coach. Having some guy who's, who's been through it. I've got an AFL guy with me. He's a few years older, coached 10 years at the top level in AFL, was involved in Australian cycling. He tells you how it is, Neil Craig. You need that one person who can tell you how it is. That's not frightened your position, it's not worried about their job that can give you that really honest, accurate feedback on, on how you're performing. And when you look back and reflect, what have those moments done for you, Eddie? So the, the adversity, the setbacks, you know, getting sacked, the tough times, what, what have those things done for you in your development? Well, it's, it, yeah, it's the best learning opportunities, isn't it? You know, it's just like now when we're in, in this situation now. You know, I'm finding with my staff, the staff have got really good work ethics are really doing well the guys who got a bit of smoke and mirrors they're the guys who are fading so you always find just your real self under pressure and it's your ability to to work out what you need to improve to keep going forward and what you need to to stop doing you know and and this is a great period for everyone to reflect on that now yeah i really like that so you're in a job um dealing with pressure is this something that you're? It's natural to you. You're able to deal with pressure. Are there any strategies you you use to try and help you uh, be able to be at your best every day and perform at your best? Um, is it something that you've developed uh, as you've as you've grown as a coach? Oh, it's two things. There's one uh, again, an American football coach. I remember reading a quote, Chuck Noll, I think his name was, and he said, "The only pressure you have is when you don't know what you're doing." So I always, that always sticks in my mind. Have we prepared well for this game? Have we done well? And then you've got to let the game take its course because you've done everything you can. Um, and, and then you have the external pressure. Um, you know, if you've got the media on your back or, or whatever it is, um, again, stay focused on what's important. Don't, don't let it get to you. 
because all you can do at the end of the day, all you can do is do your job really well. And if you do your job really well, you got to let you got to let things take its course. And if you do your job really well enough days, you'll you'll be in the positive. And um, with that external pressure, do you? How deep do you go into that? Do you read the press? Do you do you prepare yourself for press conferences? Do you, or do you have someone prepare you and give you what you, what you need to know? You know how how much do you go into all that stuff? Yeah, I was I was lucky, mate. When I went over to England, I managed to have lunch with so Alex Ferguson. Um, had a great chat to him. He said, "Look, I'm going to give you one tip." He said, "Just don't read the press. Just stop reading it." <laughs> and I've done that. So I've got no idea what they're saying. Uh, like a, a assistant coach said to me the other day. I uh, got into trouble in the press the other day. He said, he said I, he, about this thing, I said, well, I don't know, mate. I don't read it. I don't care. And so I don't, don't, it, it's, I don't even pay any attention to it. And it's the easiest way to do it because, you know, I, I have read it and, and you read, the, you like reading the good stuff, but you don't like reading the bad stuff. And then when you read the bad stuff, it has an effect on you. So now, because I don't read any of it, it doesn't have an effect. So when they ask you, you know, so-and-so said this. Well, I haven't read that, mate. You know, he's entitled to his opinion. And it's it's a much cleaner and easier way to operate. And, Eddie, that that must be quite challenging for you not to read the media. I mean, it's, uh, you know, you're reading about the sport, you're reading about other sports, other teams. Uh, how challenging is that for you? Because I can imagine it'd be really, really tough for you to, to, to really, you know, not look at that stuff or see it. Yeah, yeah, no. I've only started reading the newspaper the last couple of weeks because there's no rugby in there. Um, but I've just developed the discipline of, of, of not reading it and I've found it to be much easier. I've found it to be a greater, for me to have a greater focus on what's important because other people's opinion is not important. Mate. You know, I always remember again a coach saying to me, you listen to the fans, you'll end up in the grandstand with them. And it's true. You've got to, you've got to, you've got to know where, what you want to do. Have enough good people around you to advise you, um, and then disregard the noise. If you listen to the fans, you'll end up in the grandstand. I like that. And uh, so, do you do you read at all about other sports or other teams? Oh, I love reading about football, mate. It fascinates me. Um, so that's like that's like a soap opera to me. I try to I read that. Uh, I've got a subscription to that. The, the Athletic. I love reading their stories. They have some great stuff in there. So that's yeah. a bit of enjoyment. In England, I love watching the match of the day on Saturday night. That's the best program on television. But but rugby wise, do you do you, do you read the news about other teams or what's going on in the rugby world? No, nah, not at all. No. Not at all. Not at all. But I have someone else who keeps an eye on it for me. So if they need to fit some fit something into me, they'll tell me. So what else you do, Eddie? You you, you mentioned there. That's one area. Uh, you you mentioned also about you know you do ten minutes uh, at the end of every day. You know to to do that. It, you know that obviously means that you have you you have a certain lifestyle. Um, but you you are coaching at the very highest level in the world of sport. Are there any things you you anything else you do in terms of your well being, in terms of making sure you show up every day at your very best? Is there anything you do that helps you in that area? Yeah, just a good routine, mate. Uh, like 
from the age of, I don't know, 30, when I started coaching, I work out every morning for at least an hour. So I, I generally go to my desk early, so I'll do an hour's work when there's no noise. That's the best time to work. Generally do most of the thinking time, then have an hour workout. And by then all the rest of the staff's in, so you start, start you, you know, your more conversations, meeting players, meeting, meeting. And then I'll do that until dinner. And then the other thing I've done, mate, I don't take anything home. If you went to my house, you wouldn't know there was a I was involved in rugby. I don't keep any memorabilia. I don't keep any uh, anything to do with rugby. So once I get home, I shut that off. Um, and it's only, uh, you know, maybe my wife's read something. That'll be the only information we have about rugby. And that's really helped because I like, I do all my work in the office. So I work long hours in the office. But then when I go home, I don't, I don't have any rugby at all. Yeah, I really like that. Uh, Ed, Eddie, I want to, if I can just ask one last question in relation to match analysis. It's something that I'm fascinated with, you know, finding out what other coaches do, you know, especially in other sports. But when, when you're watching a game, a neutral game, uh, you know, for me, I, I watch a neutral game and I always like to analyse what the, op you know, what one team's doing and prepare a team talk, what the opposition are doing is something I find really interesting. You know, when, when you're watching a neutral game, uh, what what are you looking for? What are you looking at? Is there anything you you particularly you do throughout the game in terms of your own analysis? Yeah, I I generally have a an area I'll be looking at to to improve in. Like today, I watched the game on uh, from the French division between Toulouse and and um, Russing, and just to look at the movement of the players off the ball to see what they are doing. So I generally have a, a reason to watch it or I'll, like you, I'll imagine I'm coaching one of the teams. So what would I do now? How would I, how would I coach this team? What would I do at halftime? Who would I sub now? So, yeah, and it's a bit of fun. I love doing it with someone else, like to watching a neutral game. You be the other coach, I'll be this coach, and then and then seeing what you'd say at halftime, seeing what they're thinking. I reckon it's... You get so much value out of doing that because it's it's one of the best ways of improving your coaching. Yeah, I really like that idea, Eddie. I don't want to take up any more of your time. It's been uh, it's been really good. I've I've enjoyed it. I've got so much from this. Thank you so much. It's been a real privilege to get you on. Uh, pleasure, mate. Looking forward to getting over to Chicago and seeing you You're in Chicago. Hey, I am. Yeah, in Chicago. And uh, Eddie, I just want to say as well, look, congratulations for, for everything you've done for the national team. It's incredible to have watched and long may it continue. Oh, thanks, mate. I appreciate that. Thanks. Go on, you, mate. Keep well, eh? Keep well. Thanks, Eddie. Cheers, mate.